Welcome to Disrupt. I'm Tim Mullaney with Home Healthcare News. Today, we're bringing you my conversation with Chip Mazels, co-owner and CEO of Stowell Associates. But before we get to that, I want to give a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Homecare Homebase. Homecare Homebase is powerful, cloud-based home health software, streamlines virtually every aspect of your business. Spend less time on paperwork and more time delivering quality care to the patients who need you. Visit hchb.com to learn more. Chip Mazels became CEO of Stowell Associates less than a year ago, and he's leading the Milwaukee, Wisconsin-based company into a period of expansion. Founded in 1983, Stowell began as a care management company and then added home care services. Today, the company still offers both those services in a unique model and boasts impressive statistics in areas such as hospital readmissions and staff retention. Mazels believes that the combination of intensive care management with home care services in a 100% private pay model truly differentiates Stowell from other home care providers out there today. In our conversation, we spoke about Stowell's business model and plans for expansion, as well as Mazel's background as an entrepreneur and investment banker. Chip, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I want to start by hearing a little bit about your path to the home care industry. And I believe you started your career in investment banking. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I started out uh, after grad school with a small uh, merchant banking firm out of Atlanta um, that did a good bit of healthcare uh, investment uh, investment banking. And I that's where I spent my my time when I was there. Got it. So did you, at that point, were you interested sort of in finance and banking and healthcare was sort of um, just the sector that you ended up working in? Or did you have a healthcare focus or interest at all uh, prior to that? Well, it was was a bit of a luck of the draw. I I did have a a bit of an interest in healthcare as I was going through grad school and I'd worked for another investment bank before grad school that, um, that I did a little bit of work in healthcare um, but when I got to the merchant bank, uh, they put me in the healthcare sector and uh, haven't left since. So, Got it. And so can you sort of talk us through the next stage in your career? Because if I'm remembering correctly, I think you've told me that you went from being in the investment bank to then actually buying, um, was it an adult daycare business? Yeah. So I, I went to the merchant bank kind of with the I'd idea and that I would leave within a couple of years to pursue some entrepreneurial opportunities. And I wasn't, I wasn't exactly sure what those opportunities would be. Um, but as I was there at the, the bank, I had kind of stumbled across this adult day health model. Um, and the more I dug in, the more I got interested in it as a, a bit of a platform to do other senior health uh, um, healthcare things on that on one camp campus. Um, so started looking around. Eventually raised some friends and family money to acquire a really small adult day health. Um, fairly quickly raised venture capital uh, money to add um, an outpatient physical therapy. Uh, added a physician practice, um, home health, and then eventually a a uh, home care business as well, all based on that one campus. Um, and then we used the venture capital money to, to grow that business over seven locations, use, locations using that same campus model um, and r- ran that, grew it really fast, some through acquisitions um, into new markets as we built those campuses out. 
and then uh, sold that within about six years. Um, and the, the sale of the acquisition was really from the, the VC side. We just kind of reached their time horizon. We were doing really well. It was a good time for us to exit. I felt like we had a lot of runway left, but um, uh, but we had a, had a good run, very successful exit. Uh, and um, I eventually went to work for the VC after, uh, after we sold the company. Got it. That's interesting. Um, and you mentioned that you sort of always had in the back of your mind that you were going to do something entrepreneurial. Was that sort of from an early age? Did you feel that itch to um, start something from scratch? Um, I, I guess I, I did. Um, there, my grandfather was a bit entrepreneurial. Um, um, my dad was a teacher and loved teaching and didn't have much uh, um, of a interest in in entrepreneurship, but I, you know, I, I think as I, you know, this was at a, a time early 2000, uh, early 1990s when I started to kind of find some interest in, um, in entrepreneurship, you know, and at the, at the time you, if you had a, had a business plan and you were young, you could probably raise money. So I kind of hit the market at the right, right time. Um, but I, I'm not sure exactly where it comes from. Probably my grandfather. I spent a lot of time with him, and he always had kind of some sort of uh, venture uh, that he was working on. Whether it he was a full time farmer, but he he had restaurants uh, from time to time and um, other little ventures along the way. And I enjoyed the kind of watching those. That some some things go well, and some some things not go so. <laughs> familiar with the ups and downs and um where was all this taking place was this in the atlanta uh, no, area still the adult day health out of mississippi we only had one lo- location there um uh, the rest were across uh the southwest memphis little rock and then several around the dallas area so uh you said you went to work for the vc after the exit from that business and then I know in, I believe it was 2003, you ended up founding um, a healthcare investment bank of your own. So can you just sort of talk us through that phase in your career and what led you to um, starting that, I guess, getting back into the banking side and starting that business? Um, yeah, so I went to work for the the VC called Fry Ventures. Um, had uh, they, they were a generalist VC. They, they had not done a whole lot of healthcare investing um, but had done well in the two two um, investments that they had made, mine being one of them. And so I, when I started there, I was I led there. Led is a is probably not the right word because I was the only person in the healthcare department. But uh, I led uh, several investments uh, in small and midsize uh, healthcare services company. One of which was a care management company that I really thought a lot of, uh, put my own personal money in along, along with the VCs. Um, and the thesis behind the care management company was, was that it care management should be independent. Um, there shouldn't be ancillary services, um, attached to it. So you can provide, you know, good unbiased, um, uh, advice to the families that ended up, <laughs> up being, uh, wrong in a lot of ways. We just, our whole thesis around the care management was wrong. Um, I tried to, this was down in, in Florida. I, um, they, before, 
I stepped in to try to turn turn it around, um, and they before that had made a couple of acquisitions, and um, it was a bit of a mess, and ended up being a wind down rather than a turnaround. But I learned a lot from that experience, which kind of ended up influencing a lot of other things that I I did in in healthcare services. But that kind of experience um, of turning it around. Um, trying to turn it around anyway, I ended up deciding not to go back to the investment banking or to the venture capital firm and start Wyatt Mattis, um, really with kind of initially with the intent of maybe finding something else to acquire. Um, and Wyatt Mattis was the investment banking firm um, that we did healthcare, um, healthcare services uh, acquisitions, at least initially. Um, Ended up getting married, having kids, and acquisition never came along. So I stayed in that business for 15 years um, before I decided to actually go do something uh, that I started out to do 15 years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and that was no, in I actually started that, that right? in DC, um, and eventually through as I decided uh, as as we grew our family that it was getting difficult to live in downtown DC. So we. Um, we made our way to Charlottesville as kind of a lifestyle change. Um, still working out of DC up until about two years ago. And so uh, you'd sort of gotten into back into the investment banking with the idea of maybe uh, doing an acquisition. Yep. And like you said, life sort of uh, happened. And so then 14 plus years go by. And I assume that um, things then were sort of in place. And you went back to that idea of, um, finding an acquisition and getting back into operations. Is that right? And, and can you sort of, I guess, explain um, how the Stowell mm-hmm. opportunity came across so, your radar? As my kind of 10th year in the business, um, maybe it was the eighth year in the business, um, I was doing, we did a lot of transactions, a lot of kind of deal slinging work um, that I didn't really find all that fascinating. It was, was much more kind of project management, transactional kind of relationships that just weren't a, a lot of interest to me. The Balanced Budget Act uh, or the the uh, Affordable Care Act came around. Um, there was a lot of opportunities for investment, and so I had started writing these white papers around um, different my own investment theses of, uh, in different verticals of healthcare of. Primarily, the focus being how do you take fee-for-service businesses into the value-based care world? And so I started shopping those ideas around in those those white papers to family offices, uh, investment companies that were not in healthcare. Um, and so what that allowed me to do was be much more of, of an advisor. I was able to, to go and execute these investment theses, plus put my own money to work and be a real advisor serve on the board or at least a really uh, direct advisor to the family office on that particular investment. And the more that I did that and the more I kind of were brought into different strategic discussions with those investments and just kind of been uh, doing some more boots on the ground work with the investments, I really realized that I, I, I needed to go acquire a company just to, to satisfy my strategic itch, I guess. Um, and so that's when I took one of the, I had a couple of white papers I had been working on, one in the workplace medicine and one in home care. And I took that home care paper, distributed it as widely as I could through the industry 
I looked at a bunch of companies um, and really couldn't find anything that was either my size. I was looking kind of around that $10 million mark. Um, they may be that size, but I, you know, I didn't feel like I had a good fit with, with the culture or there was, you know, so little differentiated in a really crowded market that I just I felt like it was too much of a business risk. And so I'd almost given up when Phyllis Brostoff with Stoll Associates, the owner of Stoll Associates, uh, called me, read the white paper. Um, she said, your white paper is what our company is. So it's, it's worth coming to take a look. Um, we initially met in D.C. and then eventually in, in uh, Milwaukee, where the business is based. And um, it was really just a, a, a perfect match for, for me and I think a good match for Phyllis and Valerie Stefanich, who is our, her partner. Right. And uh, I'm interested in if you can describe what that Stowell business is, um, because I think that it's an interesting model and it blends that care management, which has already come up. So I never uh, let go of care management. You know, when you have what you feel like is a failure, um, you're sure that it wasn't your fault. So it's just the way that you (laughs) the way that it was positioned. So I I kept coming back around it. uh, You know, there's so much is talked about in care management and care navigators and case management these days that, you know, it's anytime that care management comes up, I'm always interested in. But what Stoll built and, and really this it started this way 35 years ago was the theory that Phyllis and Valerie had was that if you're going to be in the home care business, it had to have professional oversight and professional oversight, uh, it had to be professional oversight in the home along with the caregiver and their professional oversight. Uh, they were both care managers, social worker care managers. And over time, we've kind of evolved into master level social workers and nurses as our as our care managers. And so how that manifests itself is our uh, folks come to us um, because there's an acute event typically. And they're asking the question, what now? Our care managers, which is billable time, go in, stabilize the situation that they have there. And then over time, we'll supplement home care um, if it's needed. But they typically stay in, the care managers stay involved, both from a professional sense of their continuously addressing challenges because our clients tend to be really complex. But they, and this is kind of the differentiator, is that they're also actively, proactively supervising the caregivers that are in the home with specialty training, conflict resolution, with just kind of setting expectations both for the client and the caregiver in order to make that relationship work. And that shows up in so many different ways of, uh, of better metrics as it's compared to our industry, whether it's Turnover rate, uh, which is 75% below the industry. Our clients stay three times longer than the industry. Um, and both of those things um, have uh, just a tremendous impact on a stable business that's able to scale uh, rather than constantly trying to manage your turnover rate or constantly having to address your turnover. Um, and it's all because these care, our professional care managers are involved. Um, they are able to extend the culture from our office into the home and uh, make sure that the caregiver feels recognized and and feels uh, like they're being heard and is part of of the team. 
Great. And yeah, that makes sense to me that if you have the care management piece plus uh, the caregiving piece, that there's a lot of good synergy there. But I think it's possible that, or I, I should say, stole does provide mm-hmm. just care management for some people and just you, home care well, for some people. Is that right? Or is it care, always that get care management? Model? We just feel like that's that's kind of the way that it works. But we do have, um, Got it. you know, uh, probably forty percent of our overall business just gets care management, and that kind of ebbs and flows because our com- our clients will come on and off of the home care sometimes just based on need. Uh, generally, they you know the the they'll end up on home care for a longer period of time, but kind of early early in the uh, relationship with the clients, we're stabilizing a situation probably with home care as part of of the solution. Um, and then once we've got them stabilized, it's generally the care managers involved um, until there's uh, uh, there's a need for more hands on care. 100% private pay. And uh, is this all private pay? And so I think um, other, you know, you're talking about this differentiated model, and I think that um, it might be important to drill down into that a little bit because there are other companies out there that say they offer care coordination or care management. I feel like it's sort of like a buzzword these days, but um, it sounds like you're saying stole really, it's sort of, that was the the business is really built around that. And can you sort of describe how robust it is? And, and do you, do you feel like that is really what separates the yeah, soul model uh, from other a, companies out there that are that saying they offer care management? And doing care management, like we do care management where it's tightly integrated into to home care. Um, there's certainly a lot of people offer care management these days. And, this is one of the things that I learned in the investment in care management that home care gives a lot of care management away. Um, it was difficult difficult for us at that time when we made that investment to kind of convince people to pay for an independent service when they didn't really care if it was independent or not. They just wanted a good quality care manager and a good quality home care. And so a lot of home care and home health care will give the care management away to get the home care business. And we've chosen not to do that. We value the advice that we give. This is not kind of concierge where we're just walking the dog. This is heavy lifting care management where we're coordinating with multiple physicians, managing uh, the medications actively, uh, uh, counseling the family through kind of the d- depression and dementia, uh, the depression and anxiety that comes through and caring for a family member with whether it's Parkinson's dementia or chronic illness. Um, and because of the care management over time, we've just become known for um, being able to solve complex situations um, or provide su- solutions to a complex situation. And so we tend to get some really uh, difficult cases, um, difficult clients with multiple issues that we're able to stabilize um, and a, a, um and then, of course, supplement with home care. But uh, it's a very different model than the, probably a lot of the care management is out there. We're probably more toward that kind of healthcare end of the spectrum where you know, look at kind of care navigators in hospitals or uh, the, the latest version of Medicare Advantage where there's more boots on the ga- ground care management, but taking um, 
addressing complex clients' needs. We're more toward the end of that um, than we are probably toward what's generally out there. The other slight difference is there's there are some really good care management companies that have home care, but they separate the two, um, that they still use that traditional home care um, model of trying to manage care, caregivers from the office. Um, they still provide very good care management services and probably somewhat similar to us, but we we just believe that you have to have those two uh, blended to make it make it really work like it's working for us. Got it. And can you share any information about what the sort of cost is to consumers? Because I imagine it sounds like it's a very um, intensive service, and I'm wondering if you, do you see it sort of as like a high end service, or is yeah, it it's a premium model accessible so, to a middle um, market, or how we, do you think about for our care management service? Um, it's $125 an hour, and then we have some associates that are building billing um, $75 and $55 an hour, depending on kind of what what's needed. And then our care manage a uh, caregiving service is $30 an hour. And there's a bit of care management built into that. Um, that's kind of part of the supervisory time that's built into that that uh, cost per hour for the caregiving. Um, but generally, we separate their supervisory time and there's billable time that we're solving some challenge for the family, um, which is billable time. Got it. And... As the healthcare system evolves, do you see more opportunity for Stowell? Because I imagine that managed care payers and uh, things like organizations like ACOs would be interested in working with a company that can help manage a patient population through this type of high-touch service. And I imagine keep things like hospital... Um, um, it could be... Unnecessary uh, hospitalizations down. Do you see that way around the happening? Office, but... Um, <laughs> the, I, you know, I, we've got, so we're joint commission accredited. So it, <laughs> it requires us to track uh, a lot of quality data. Um, we, we've also kind of just historically been big data collectors um, over the 35 years. And it's, and it's, it, it's amazing that this company, the size that it is, has got as much robust data about the client, about metrics around the business as they they do. And so we believe over time that we're going to be able to make sense out of that and really demonstrate quality. Um, certainly how we we do what we do with these complex patients um, that, you know, an at-risk organization is going to look at that for a segment of their population and say, you could really solve solve our challenges around this set of patients and whether that's, you know, a d- disease state or geography, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I think the the challenge for, for us and others like us that have maybe a more mm-hmm. innovative model is uh, can we communicate clear enough that we're not um, just another home care company and we're, we're not willing to compete over a home care dollar um, that they, the these at risk providers can we can we get the point across that we we have a very differentiated model because of the care management and you should look at us as a care management company rather than a uh, than just a home care company that's a real challenge when at least for a hospital you know only a, a very few people may be able to support our pay for our services not been a whole lot of evidence that 
uh, hospitals have a tolerance to pay for what we do, or at least in the industry. Um, um, we've had some good conversations. There's not, haven't been substantive besides they look at our data, they look at kind of what we do and they, they go, wow. Um, but we wouldn't be very high on their priority list right now. And, and we really haven't tried to be, we're, we've, we've kind of stayed, uh, internally focused as we kind of get ready to grow the business. But certainly your, your point is valid and it's something that's uh, on our radar to think harder about. And um, uh, you mentioned the sort of number of people who can pay for the service. Do you think that there are things like the Medicare Advantage final rule that came out that says that these plans might be able to, um, what well, says they will definitely be able to if they can figure it out, offer non-skilled in-home care as a benefit starting in 2019. Um, yeah. Would you be interested in, in bringing in yeah, Medicare Advantage as a source of revenue to, um, to be able or very to, early uh, and sort of uh, waiting to see what the insurers do? open up another, another revenue stream for kind of what we already do. You know, I think those that are probably best positioned to take advantage of it are those that have, have relationships with Medicare Advantage, whether it's Medicare home health providers or uh, even Medicaid managed care who are used to working in kind of that managed care environment. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of upside to it. You know what, I, I, I think probably as an industry, we have to be a bit careful about as if, if we're going to go compete over a home care dollar and um, have a utilization discussion on every patient, then um, it makes it really hard to to stay viable. I mean, it seems like it's a race to the bottom. And if you kind of look at the Medicaid world where Medicaid um, is, is paid for these services, billable rates are super low. Um, it's hard to hire good quality caregivers when you're doing that. So, you know, I, we've, we've had, again, we've had some good conversations. I can't say that they've been all that substantive, um, but we're, you know, I, I think if, if we can convince uh, a health plan to look at us as kind of the last mile of care management um, that can supplement with home care and they value that care management, then then there's that would be a interesting discussion. Um, you know, otherwise, I think we'll be pretty cautious about kind of going in there and and just trying to compete. Um, you know, our, our our clients, because they are so complex, you, uh, I think the industry average for home care is about 18 hours per week per client, and we're at 33. Um, and so if we have to start trying to staff two hours here, four hours here, those are really hard to staff and end up um, straining your caregivers and uh, stretching your infrastructure to something that's probably not sustainable or at least not scalable. Um, not, not Probably not for us. There's companies out there that can do it. Um, but um, it's it's too attractive not not to look at it, but we're we're certainly kind of cautious right now. Right. <laughs> Got it. Um, I want to talk about technology a little bit. Um, you already brought up that Stowell has gathered a lot of data, and uh, I'm wondering what you what sort of exciting you about technology capabilities today if there's any kind of technology that you're interested yeah, so, um, in investing in or, we're, we're or how you're thinking about where that fits evaluating into, all our technology into the future for Stowell. We've got some kind of dated systems that we need to upgrade, but kind of where we're how we're thinking about it 
I guess we put in, in two buckets. Um, you know, how do we, what platforms can we invest in that we can, um, um, understand this, the, the, the challenges around optimizing staffing in home care. Um, you know, there's not, there's only a, a couple of good platforms out there that not only meet the demands of kind of day to day, uh, just getting one person here to one person there and how you communicate that. Um, there's another layer of that that's really important to us as we've scaled we've scaled the business to a certain point and you're going to move a little bit faster on that. And that's kind of the reporting side of how do you really kind of cut and slice um, data that you're collecting from the field and to, that influences and informs decisions of how best to just kind of optim- optimize or uh, improve our processes around scheduling um, our, our caregivers. So that's, kind of number one. Number two, the thing that we have built kind of homegrown system here that, you know, we'll bring into a a different system later um, early next year um, is we've got a really good rope. We've got a really robust uh, care management uh, record um, that goes pretty deep into the healthcare side, but super deep in the psychosocial side. And the data that we have around that is very unique, um, and it's, it's been validated. At kind of first cut's been validated. We need to go a little bit further, but we're looking to invest there. Of really understanding what that data means, we've got thirty-five years worth of data around it, um, and then how does that inform how we train care managers, how care managers make decisions? Um, you know, what we're not all not exactly sure what all we're going to learn from it, but we know that it's it's kind of good data and we need kind of a platform that's going to help us understand that going forward on on a more real-time basis um the um and then the probably the final thing is and it's all kind of connected is you know how do we how do you manage a mobile workforce and what technology can we use um that helps um helps train the workforce or helps um, um, organize or, ref- uh, or communicate with the workforce that with the, with the intention of, uh, retaining those, those caregivers as, as long as we can and give them the best opportunity to, to succeed. And, uh, there's some pretty exciting things that are happening out, out there with, in that area. And they're, it, it, they're, they're really exciting and they're really intimidating a little bit too, because, um, historically we haven't, uh, at least our care managers, uh, our caregivers haven't engaged in a mobile app uh, platform before. So um, making sure that we do that the right way, that's ultimately going to benefit the relationship with the caregivers is is, uh, is of high interest to us. Great. Uh, so I want to talk about Stowell's growth trajectory a little bit. Um, if you can talk about sort of the scope did, um, of what about the three, market three reaches ago, right now and uh, um, what the plans so, are so for right expanding. Now we're, I think you just we, opened a new office in Milwaukee area. Mil- is that right? Greater Milwaukee area. Um, you know, if you kind of look at our distribution of clients, it's kind of all over, but the bulk of them are probably on the east side of Milwaukee. Um, and we're having a, a bit of a difficult time reaching um, from a caregiving perspective over in the next county over. Um, and so we've dedicated, we've opened up an office. We've got it fully staffed now with, there's three care managers out there. 
and a um, office coordinator that are starting to drive growth in that that market. Um, we've we've had a couple of care managers in that market historically, and um, so now we're going to be able to do um, we're going to be able to do um, uh, caregiving there now um, uh, as well. And so that's and that's kind of how we we see our our growth is through organic um, uh, the opening of, of new offices and, and new markets. Um, we're we've um, you know, the infrastructure that we've already invested in and continue to invest in through the next year will allow us to do that at a more rapid pace. Um, and it, you know, it's a matter of being able to hire care managers and caregivers um, uh, in these new markets and how quick that we can get there. And we'll, we'll we're open to acquisitions. It's not um, it's not a big part of our plan, but uh, there's some you know really good companies out there that would probably align nicely with our culture. And and where that happens, we we'd certainly be open to it. Got it. And. Yeah, you brought up staffing as maybe one challenge in expansion. And I think just in general, obviously, we hear all the time about all of the challenges related to workforce, whether it's rising minimum wage in certain areas or just tight labor markets in general as the unemployment rate comes down, caregiver shortages. So I'm wondering, uh, is staffing really the thing that is keeping you up at night the most from a business yeah, so perspective? And, and one of the things how that we do really, about, really um, well recruitment and retention to caregivers. overcome um, or address some of these it's big, not big challenges out there. Caregivers come through the office where I've been out in the field a good, bit, a good bit lately to uh, hear the tenure of around 10 years, 16 years. We just had a 20th year anniversary for one of our caregivers last week. Um, you know, we have just really long tenure. And if we can get them to 30 hours a week, the caregivers to 30 hours a week, then we'll keep them on average of seven hours. And so we've got different incentive plans to kind of get them to that that number as quickly as we can so we can retain. We do a bunch of other stuff around retention um, as well. Um, so we're, we've, we're really good, good at that. Um, you know, with this market, we've got a pretty good reputation. We're, we're the largest in Wisconsin, and at least people in Milwaukee and caregivers in Milwaukee know us and they know how they're treated. So we're, you know, we'll continue to do well in this market. Um, that, you know, the, the, once we can get outside this market, we're not as well known then, you know, how we communicate, um, our, our pay, our benefits, our, um, all the reasons why folks want our bonus opportunities, kind of all the reasons why people want to, would want to come to work for, um, a home care company just to make sure that we're communicating that effectively. Um, you know, that's probably what, probably if there's anything that keeps me up, that would be it. But I, you know, the, I think our philosophy though, and this is one of the things I'm attracted to this industry uh, because I am a, a caregiver advocate, both for the family and the professional caregiver, um, is, you know, caregiver is a calling and it can be a career. And we need to invest in our staff, uh, field staff as, as, um, just like we would anybody in the office or our professionals or our management team. So, you know, how do we provide educational opportunities? How do we give them the autonomy and purpose of to, to do what they, they want to do and what they do best? And, you know, how do we support them um, as being a caregiver, not only for a part-time job, but for the career and kind of moving up some sort of career ladder. And 
we've um, just started investing in that um, uh, heavily with uh, with a couple of partners. There. Great. Um, uh, so we talked yeah, about what's I, keeping you up at night a little bit, think, wondering what is getting all, we, you most we, excited. Um, went through this sort of energizing your days the most in terms of uh, business opportunities that you see out there. Was you know when you have we we won the top place to work eight years in a row. We just won Future Fifty. We've got this great low turnover rate. You know, there's something about our culture that uh, is working, um, and that why people want to come and work. Here. And so we, we've spent some time really trying to define that um, and being able to all communicate it in the same way. Um, and so, you know, we, we've coalesced around um, the identity of, the, of our culture, being able to communicate it and then being able to communicate it out, out to the public and, and new um, staff members that have um that want to come work for us. And so we've been able to build a management team pretty quickly because we've, we went through that exercise first and I'm excited about getting that, uh, communicating who we are out to the marketplace. Um, so, uh, um, and, and it is certainly already resonated with where we are in the, the new market that we just, we just moved into. Um, I'm as excited about the management team we put in place. We've got just super smart people who, um, believe in the model that Stoll, Valerie, and Phyllis built so many years ago. Um, and I'm excited to see how they develop and how they, how, how they bring this to, to other markets um, as well. Uh, you know, this is the golden era. This is, this is, you know, for 10 years, 10, 20 years ago, when people were talking about this, uh, about home care and the silver tsunami or, you know, the golden era, whatever that is, um, uh, you know, this is it. <laughs> um, and I'm excited to be a part of it. And I'm excited for the, you know, this is a really hard business to scale. Uh, there's a lot of challenges around it that prevent, uh, you know, there's a reason why there's not very many large companies. There's a reason why, you know, the Silicon Valley companies have struggled to to find their footing in it. it it's a hard business. It's just a very personal business um, delivered in a very personal way. and that limits some of the rate of growth and some of the innovations that you might, that you might pursue. And I, I like that intellectual challenge. I like that we put people here and, and just the culture that we have here already is a learning culture. And they, you know, they're, they're excited about trying to figure it out, um, kind of moving into the next level while not losing the essence of who we are. Um, and what we built here. And so it, it's, you know, it's a really so exciting time for the, for the industry as a whole. Great. Well, that's a great segue into my last question, um, which is about disruption. This podcast is called Disrupt and you brought up some of the difficulties in innovating um, and some of the struggles of some of these new uh, quote unquote disruptive entrants with um, Silicon Valley pedigrees. Um, so I'm wondering, Stoll is kind of a unique... Um, model um and it's doing some interesting things in, I, in so the i guess i'd find so wondering how you think about is, what disruption is uh, and do you uh, see stole as is bringing either technology or care? some care model or or business model into an industry and it completely changed how all the other competitors are or participants in the industry um how they operate and you know it hurts me to say it but I, i'm not sure we're 
we're a disruptor in that way. Um, I think we're really good at what we do. I think we're innovating around the care model. We're innovating around the mm-hmm. um, how we train, uh, 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 how we attract and train and retain our caregivers. Um, and we'll we'll continue to do some really interesting and innovative things. But you know, I'm not sure. It, it's really hard to do what we do. Um, it's really expensive to do what we do, and um, not every family will be able to to pay for it. And I think there's always going to be a, a place for price competition uh, in the space. Um, I think we'll end up with the best caregivers, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to disrupt it, uh, disrupt the market. Um, we're a really local company. We're always going to be a local company. Even if we have 10, 15, 20 branches, it's still going to be local to those, to those branch offices. And that makes it really hard to kind of disrupt disrupt the the industry so to speak maybe you disrupt a little bit of your local market but i don't think that's the definition that you're kind of looking for there so you know i like being part of disruption um but the you look across the history of healthcare especially in this kind of value-based world that the road is littered with wannabe disruptors um is one of those businesses that are comes down to blocking and tackling and execution and um i think we're really good at that and we'll well, uh, as much as we want to be disruptors, I, I think we're going to be really good executors. Right. Well, uh, Chip, thanks so much. I enjoyed our conversation. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.